Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring Starship Sofa and Far-Fetched Fables, everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good evening, children of the night. Last week was StokerCon, and unless something very surprising happened between this recording and the release of this episode, we have some new Stoker Award winners. Like years in the past, we are planning on airing as many of the nominees in the category of short fiction as we can. Last I heard, Scott Silk had managed to secure all but one of the stories, and the last one is currently listed as maybe. Things get trickier for us because of money and contracts, while when we were in exposure market, it was a bit more mm, hand-wavy on the legal details. So stay tuned for those, and congratulations to all of the Stoker Award nominees and winners. Before we get on to our fiction for the evening, I have a bit of a request. This year's Stoker Awards were aboard the Queen Mary harbored at Long Beach, California, which is appropriate because I've heard the boat is very haunted. Maybe next year the Stoker Con can get the Winchester House. Anyway... There is a book that I remember reading some years ago that took place on or near the Queen Mary. The book had a theme of people catching the ghosts, sealing them up in vials, and then snorting them for some reason. I think that they use palindromes to trap ghosts in the book. It's been bugging me in about an hour of searching the internet with uh, themes I have in my memory. I can't find the name of the book. 
If there is any podcast audience that someone else might have read it and have a better memory than yours truly, it'd be Tales to Terrify's audience. If you remember it, email me at talestoterrify@gmail.com so I can stop keeping myself awake trying to remember something. Let's hear some fiction. Our first story comes to us from Francis Silversmith. Francis writes computer software for a living and science fiction and fantasy stories for fun. She lives in a small town in Germany with her husband, six guinea pigs, and two Icelandic horses. Please visit her website, www.francissilversmith.com. And now, Francis Silversmith's Dark Chocolate. My friend Annie once called me a witch, which may well have been dead accurate. That was during a time when we weren't friends, which was Rick's fault. Rick, the Adonis, perfect in every way, my dream lover. On the day he chose me over Annie, I trembled with elation, stunned and disbelieving at the same time. Did he bewitch both Annie and me? I don't know. He never showed an affinity to the black arts, but he did seem to take a remarkable amount of enjoyment from watching Annie and me fight. In the morning of one memorable Valentine's Day, Annie waved me into her driveway when I drove by her house. She offered me a treat from a pink chocolate box, adorned with red hearts and white roses. I got this from my lover, she cooed, a catty light in her beautiful blue eyes. Why did she hate me so much? We'd been so close once, before we met Rick. I smiled sweetly and chewed a piece of dark chocolate. It tasted flat, cocoa-flavored sand. Annie didn't have a lover of her own. She wanted mine. Your lover must have gotten the box at a bargain price, don't you think? I said. A look of hurt flashed in her eyes and was quickly hidden behind a false smile. I was not sorry, or so I told myself. My heart, I've brought you a present, Rick said a few hours later. The smile on his classical features sparkled full force. Even after a year of bitter disappointments, my heart still melted at the sight of that smile. I took the pink box with the cheesy hearts and roses. When I managed to speak, my voice shook. Thank you, Rick. I love you. Did I tell the truth? Sometimes love and hate are hard to tell apart. Have you seen Annie today? His lips thinned, and the laugh lines around his brown eyes disappeared. I felt bereft. Never mind, I said. Come, let's celebrate Valentine's Day. A new smile lit up his face, and my knees grew weak. How could I blame Annie for failing to resist his charms? I couldn't withstand them either. 
My Creole grandmother once told me that sex can be used to power black magic. She also said that physical attraction has a particular affinity to chocolate, magically speaking. I'd always thought that was superstitious nonsense. As Rick grunted above me that night, my eyes went back and forth between his perfect features and the sweets in the pink box on the nightstand. Back and forth. Back and forth. The chocolate grew ever more tempting, especially compared to the man in my bed. He stayed overnight, snoring away while I lay beside him, unfulfilled, crying silent tears. The next morning, we sat at the breakfast table in sullen silence. I distracted myself, biting into a piece of chocolate from the pink box, a little heart-shaped treat with a nut on top. It tasted heavenly, immeasurably better than the sweet Annie had offered me the day before. Strange. Across from me, Rick flinched and rubbed his temples, groaning in pain. I watched him chewing the chocolate. When I swallowed, he flinched again. He looked miserable, not at all like his usual robust self. Are you all right? I asked. No, I'm not all right, he scowled. Can't you see my head is splitting? Annie wouldn't just sit there. She'd do something to make it better. My heart bucked in my chest. He looked shaken, as if he wished the words unsaid, but it was too late. For a long moment I sat frozen, staring at my lover. What had I seen in this man for all these months? All of a sudden, I felt no attraction for him at all. By the time his headache receded, I'd made my decision. Our relationship was over and past time. When I told him to leave, he protested his undying love. He even promised to break up with Annie and be faithful from now on, if only I forgave him just this once. I wavered, my old feelings for him returning, but in the end I did stay firm. When I passed Annie's house later that day, I saw Rick's car parked in her driveway. I went home and ate a piece of extra dark chocolate from the box. Its tart and sweet flavor made my taste buds sing, sent a sensual shiver down my body. I felt better. Two weeks later, I met Annie and Rick in town. His arm lay possessively around her shoulders, while his eyes followed a pretty girl going in the other direction. Annie seemed miserable, trapped in his embrace. The look she gave me was so wretched, my heart went out to her. When the strange girl had passed out of sight, Rick turned to me and donned his brilliant smile. It was a remarkably unremarkable expression. 
His features were the same, but somehow their beauty had faded. His face looked worn and gaunt, and only a tiny spark remained of his former allure. That night I drove over to Annie's. Her car was in her driveway, and Rick's wasn't, so I steeled myself and rang her bell. She looked wary when she opened the door, but after a slight hesitation, she invited me in. We shared a bottle of wine and solemnly ate the last two treats from my pink box. This time, the shiver the chocolate's bitter flavor sent down my spine was not pleasant at all. Rick's car was found the next morning, wrapped around a tree next to the road leading to his hometown. There was no sign of blood or any other evidence that anybody had even been in the car when the accident happened. The police eventually closed the case, unsolved. Rick was never seen again. Annie and I are friends again. We've opened a candy store together and celebrate every Valentine's Day by sharing a box of chocolates between us. The last piece in the box we always leave on the ground, below the tree where Rick's car was found. We sometimes think we see a man-shaped shadow hover under the tree, grabbing for us with insubstantial hands. That's nothing but our overactive imaginations, of course, but nonetheless, when that happens, we leave as fast as we can, not looking back and I've privately resolved never to toy with my grandmother's magic again. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. 
With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. That was Francis Silversmith's Dark Chocolate, as read by Maureen McLean. He is an Austin musician, plucking the bass with acoustic bands, the Therapy Sisters, and a proper cup of coffee. She earns her keep in the courtroom interpreting real-life terrifying tales from Spanish to English. Thank you, Maureen. Our second story of the night comes to us from Steve Toes. Steve lives in North Yorkshire, England, and occasionally Munich, Germany. His stories tend towards the unsettling and the unreal. His work has appeared in Cabinet de Fee's Shahrazade's Bequest, Not One of Us, and Café Ariel, among others. In 2014, his story Call Out, first published in Innsmouth magazine, was reprinted in the Best Horror of the Year anthology number six. Most recently, Steve has been working with Becky Cherryman and I Move on a commissioned project called Haunt, about the haunting presence of Harrogate in the lives of people experiencing homelessness or vulnerable housing in the town. Link to that project will be www.imovearts.co.uk slash current dash project slash haunt. Link to that will be in the show notes. To read more of Steve's work, please visit stevetoes.co.uk, stevetoes.wordpress.com, facebook.com slash stevetoes number one. And you can also sign up for his newsletter at tinyletter.com slash stevetoes. And of course, link to every single one of those should be in the show notes. Originally appearing in Not One of Us, number 54, let's listen to Steve Toe's Not All the Coal That Is Dug Warms the World. When I turned 44, I knew I would never be well again. A dense erosion in the depths of my bones that I curled up around saw to that. My daughter Lou came in every morning and placed a cup of tea on my bedside table just within reach. If I'd left my book open, pages splayed, she picked it up, slid a piece of torn paper in as a bookmark, and tucked it down the side of my bed. Later, she came and took the drink away again, trying not to spill the now-cold, untouched liquid down her dress. Sometimes she tried to open the curtains, let the light in, as if the glow itself was an elixir. Annoyed, I waved her out of the room. She pretended not to be upset. I pretended not to hear her cry. Leaning against my bedroom door, shallow sobs making the door handle rattle. Morning brought more tea I could not face and a small pile of letters. 
I place the cup to one side and work through the post from the personal colored envelopes of concern through the brown windowed official letters like anonymous offices until I got to the plain white bank envelopes hidden amongst the junk mail. I slit the envelope with my nail, watching the paper tear to a fringe of gills. Inside, the columns of numbers cascaded down the bottom of the sheet until there was nothing left, a single digit held in place by a minus sign. For the next few moments, I stared until they became another language and put the bank statement on the empty pillow beside me. Today, the cup was a simple white porcelain thing with a clump of poppies printed on the front. Not the sort of crockery I would ever buy myself. Probably a gift from a pupil who had long forgotten me. The tea surface was slick with tea oils, leaving a tide mark on the inside of the cup as I placed it back on the bedside table. Careful not to catch the cup's handle, I ignored the dull ache in my joints and opened the drawer, taking out the form and a pen. I knew this day had been coming and had already read the instructions, read all the clauses. Clause 4.2 about sanctions. Clause 10.8 about how my family would be supported if I died during the period of my benefits. I made sure the pen was black and filled in the rest of my details and capitals. Lou came in and picked up the cup, wrapping her hand around the side, lacing her fingers through the handle. I pass her the letter, steadying my left arm with my right hand. Find an envelope and post this, I said. She took a moment to read the official name at the top before taking it, sliding the paper into a pocket of her jeans. There must be another way, some, something else we can do, she said. It wasn't a question, but I answered as if it was. My savings are gone. I have no options left. I shrugged and winced. It'll work out. The medical assessor came a week later, visiting on a bad day, rather a bad day than one when the symptoms had shrunk back to nothing. I struggled out of bed, Lou standing by, not allowed to aid me as I raised my arms, was bled and measured. While they watched, I leant on the wall, coughing up against the wallpaper. Lou moved forward, her help stayed by the cold hands of the assessor. You do want him to get some money, don't you? he said. Lou looked to me. I closed my eyes and tried to ignore the smell of damp. Twenty minutes later, he left, opening the bedroom door for Lou to lead him out with three cups held in her hands, two empty and one full. I heard them talking on the landing, though they whispered. Will he get some help? Lou said, the cups clinking together as she rested her arms against the banister. I can't say for definite. There are algorithms and numbers to be crunched. It's 
all done on a point system by the computer. I pictured Lou's face crumple, the same expression whenever she got bad news. I'm sorry I can't give you more information, Miss Jackanelle, he said, trying to keep to the official line. The letter arrived two weeks later. Recognizing the red ink franking on the envelope, I placed it to one side. The experts said all along that my condition wasn't stress-related, but the pain spiraled down my limbs to burn fish hooks into my marrow. I still opened the other post first, leaving the government letter to the end. Not wanted to know. Either way, yes or no, it wasn't good. The first food package arrived two hours later, jars and tins stamped with a government arrow. I read the ingredients on each one, mouthing the syllables to myself. They all had one ingredient in common. Lou must have been at the back of the house. I called down the stairs until I tasted stomach acid in my throat. A few minutes passed, then I heard her footsteps on the stairs. She came in, shutting the door behind her. Reaching down, she held my bowl out as I retched. Placing it on the ground out of sight, she leant her back against the door. The jar was heavy in my hand. It wasn't important which one I showed her, just that she saw the symbol. Anything with this symbol on it is in the cupboards, I said, turning the jar until she could see the thick black arrow embossed on the surface. Never eat anything from here, no matter how hungry you get. She peered at the label. Don't eat peanut butter? No, never eat anything with this arrow symbol on it, no matter what is in it. Baked beans, sauces, bread, don't touch it. You still have the cash card? Lou nodded. They give us a little bit of money. Use that if you get desperate. And you? I held up the jar. Whatever they give me. Truth be told, the food wasn't too bad. Bland and nondescript, true, never gonna win Master Chef, but edible. That first night, Lou cooked me pasta and sauce. I kept most of it down. Once out of the container, the food looked just like every supermarket's own brand. The added ingredient didn't add anything to the taste. I slept well that night. Not having to worry about the house for the first time in months helped. So did the full stomach. In my dreams, I saw the fine, fibrous webbing forming in each organ, stretching across my stomach and curling inside my gallbladder and kidneys, gritty streams of minerals settling out of my recently digested food and collecting like dying fish in the mesh. When I awoke, there was no difference. I still had pain in my limbs like crushed concrete every time I moved. Yet, for the first time in months, I didn't start the day hungry. The cereal was bland and fell apart in the UHT milk supplied. 
Lou sat on the edge of the bed watching me eat, parent-child roles reversed. She never spoke, just sat, hands folded in her lap, scared to say the wrong thing. When I'd finished the bowl, she took it and placed her hand on mine. How are you feeling, she said. I kept my fingers moving so my knuckles wouldn't remember to hurt. Better. Full stomachs heal minds, I said, smiling, trying not to picture the grit forming and catching on the nets. Of course, I knew they weren't like dill nets woven by fishermen's crushed fingers, the minerals, nothing like hematite surface pebbles I saw in my mind's eye. We'd all watched the documentary showing the fibrous strings, thick strands of mucus, the minerals like fat cells. A substance discovered in a lab that could replace lanthanum. A mineral that could be cultured in the human digestive system. A failing economy. Large-scale unemployment. The home helps made their first visit that Friday. While one stayed downstairs tidying rooms Lou never got around to, the other sat on the edge of my bed. She ran a hand across my duvet, the dried skin of her fingers catching on the material. How are you doing, she said, feeling any better? I held my arms up, sleeves falling back. My elbows creaked with friction as I laid them on my lap. She ran a hand across my swollen joints and winced. Smiling, she patted her hand on my wrist. Are you ready? she said. I nodded and lowered myself back to the mattress, shuffling until my head felt comfortable on the pillow. She rested her surgical bag by my feet, opening the top, the room filling with the scent of pine disinfectant. Staying silent, she took out a yellow sharps box, another the same size colored industrial green. With a flourish, she spread out a candle-colored disposable towel, laying out an aerosol, syringe, scalpel, and something I couldn't identify, a length of fabric. Before you start, I said, can you turn that photo around? I pointed at the picture of Maggie on our wedding day, the cheap paper slightly warped due to the damp of the room and the lack of glass, my only daily reminder of how she looked. The home help nodded and pushed the photo onto its face. Ready, she asked again, stroking my upper arm. I nodded. She folded down the bedding and pulled up my top, buttons catching on my ribs. I watched her pick up the spray and close my eyes as the cold mist settled on my skin. Then the pressure as the syringe evacuated its contents into me. My torso became a haunting I was only vaguely attached to. Never really squeamish, I opened my eyes and watched her pick up the flint-bladed scalpel and draw it across my midriff. The blade morphed to the press of gravity. She picked up the strip of material the length of her hand, 
one side covered in minute fabric hooks. She lowered it into me, lifting it again, the mineral drawn out like strands of rope. Tugging the final strands free, she detached a length of my stomach lining, redder than the rest, like gristle. I felt a moment of loss, a second of grief for its amputation. Holding the minerals in one hand, she loosened the lining with the other, dropping it into the sharps box. She stapled me back together, the clicks far too loud in the room. No need to be too neat, she said. Just to stop you from emptying yourself in your sleep, we'll be opening you again in two weeks. Why don't you fit a zip, I said, wincing as I tried to find a comfortable way to lie. I couldn't. She paused in dropping her gloves and swabs into a surgical waste bag as if seriously considering the idea. Every morning for the next week, Lou stripped the bed when she brought in my cup of tea, trying not to look at the yellow scabbing dried to the sheets. I stood holding on to the wall as tides of nausea came through my insides. There are marks on the wall, stained with my blood, where I slipped and fell while trying to get to the lowest point I could. The fortnight passed in nights of waking with bedding stuck to the open wound, pulling away as the fever caused me to swipe the sheets away in my sleep. Then the day was here again, and the home helps were here again, one tidying downstairs, the other spreading out her implements alongside my legs on the bed. After the spray, she injected the anesthetic, then plied the staples free. I felt my skin tear even through the numbness. Once my midriff was open, she dipped in the strip of hooks, fishing around to clasp the precious strings. Cats cradling the minerals between her hands, she tutted. Have you been eating properly? she said draping the strands into the green box and beginning to refasten my wound. Is there a sanction if I don't produce enough? She smiled a professional smile and fastened in the next staple. I winced as the anesthetic started to wear off. Of course not. We just need you to stay healthy, she said, clearing up her tools and taking off her gloves. And then the cycle of weeping and healing started again, and each morning Lou bringing in the cup of tea hot, each afternoon taking it away cold with the second set of soiled sheets stripped from my bed. Two weeks later, the home helps visited again. Lou sat on the far side of the bed holding my hand. I didn't ask her to. The night had been long and disturbed. The home help crouched on the floor beside my bed, rolled up my T-shirt, grimacing at the scar running diagonally across one side of my torso. That's not healing well, she said, swabbing it clean with soaked cotton wool. We'll have to go in on the other side. Time to earn your lance, Corporal Stripes. 
Lou leant across and put a hand across her mouth when she saw the line crusted with yellow and unhealed skin. Can't you miss this week? Let him get better. Come in two weeks. The home help stopped what she was doing and stood up. If that's what you want, she said, stripping off her gloves and getting a folder out of her bag. You'd not get any money for this fortnight, though. No money, I said. The home help nodded. You still get food, but it would be the basic rice and oats. Enough to keep your system distilling the minerals. From her top pocket, she took out a pen embossed with a mobile phone company logo and started to fill in a form with my details. When finished, she placed it beside me and slipped the pen into my hand. Lou snatched the form and started reading. You're sanctioning him for non-cooperation? The home help shrugged. Obviously, because he isn't cooperating. But when you come back in a month, the minerals will still be there. You won't have lost anything. Taking the form back, the home help shook her head. It doesn't work like that, she said, placing the paper back by my side. So, if you want to miss today's collection, then sign the form. I have eight other visits to do. I shook my head and crumpled up the form. A look of relief crossed the home help's face, and she opened her bag, spreading the instruments out on the edge of the bed. Mrs. Fredericks from down the street came to visit. Trying not to look uncomfortable at the stench in the room, Lou brought a chair in from the lounge, setting it down at the foot of the bed, then brought us each a cup of tea. She waited for me to pull myself up, not saying anything as I winced. Underneath the bedding, I felt one of the wounds weeping, the sticky liquid seeping down my midriff. So, how are you keeping? Mrs. Frederick said, more for something to say than really wanting to know. How are the family? I said, for the same reason. Have you seen them recently? Our Sue had a little boy, she said, brightening up. They called him Sammy. From her pocket, she took out a mobile phone, swiping through the gallery to get to the latest proud grandparent photos. Leaning forward to show me her enthusiasm overrode any discomfort she had. I stared at the phone, not even seeing the photographs. I almost smelt the flesh scorched off the minerals to process them before building the phone. Did this handset include minerals cultured in stomach, grown like farmed salmon? Was this fake carbon fiber cased phone related to me by blood? Did my bizarre enable Mrs. Frederick to speak to her relatives, view the photos of her innocent grandson? With a start, I pushed myself away, the sheet falling down to my waist, revealing the diagonal scars. Mrs. Fredericks covered her mouth with her hand, then composed herself again. The embarrassment was replaced by something else I couldn't quite identify. 
And then I recognized it. Disgust. Not with my scars, but with me. Well, she said, opening the door with one hand, trying to balance the phone, if you've made proper provision, you wouldn't be in this situation. I listened to her walk down the stairs, stopping to talk in hushed tones to Lou. Cautious, I touched one of the scars, and a burning sensation harrowed through my ribs into my back. I breathed deeply to dissipate the pain, not noticing until later that Lou had come in to get the cups. Mrs. Fredericks is empty, mine still full. Over the months, my torso became a scratch pad of scars, some never healing, others fading against my skin like contrails in the early afternoon. Each visit started with a treasure hunt to find a clear area to enter the cavity under my skin. Occasionally, the home help took out her mobile phone and photographed me, sending the image through the ether for a second opinion. Waiting for it to twitch and beep an answer on where to slice into me next, I stared at the device, the glossy surface, corners rounded like bone terminals. The black glass screen reflected some peeled paint on the wall. In the obscured mirror, I saw flesh decaying, scorched by the heat of the lithium battery, the fumes curling out of the side vents, a handheld crematorium. The phone vibrated against the sheet. The home help picked it up, stared between me and the answer, then shook her head. I'm sorry about this, but we're having to go in through the back. Can you turn over, she said, reaching out to hold my hand as if that would calm my fears. With my free hand, I moved the blanket and pulled up my t-shirt, wincing as fibers caught and tugged at the open edges of the wounds. I can't lay on my front, I said, not until these are healed. She lifted up her glasses on the lanyard around her neck. And that will be another two weeks, she said, reaching into her bag for a form. I'll have to sanction you, I'm afraid. I watched the pen move across the paper. I heard Lou moving around in her bedroom, trying to clean the black mold from the walls. The sanctions wouldn't affect me. I would still eat. Slowly I turned myself over, cheek against the pillow, cotton scratching at my eyes. I listened to the home help slide the paper back in her bag and pick up the anesthetic. This will be cold, then a sharp needle, she said, fussing over, turning my skin to marble, then draping a strip of tiny hooks, like upturned teeth, into my opened organs. Lying there, unable to move, I turned my head to where she was cleaning up. What if, I started saying, then stopped, not wanting to finish the question. She took off her gloves, dropping them into the medical waste bag, then crouched down beside me. What if what? she prompted me. What if I can't carry on? What if my body just can't take any more? 
She closed her eyes for a moment, gathering her thoughts. The simplest thing is to come off the benefits. Quickly, she held her hands up. But we understand that's not an option for everyone. Not for you, in any case. And if it isn't an option? Someone else in the family has to take over the obligations. Her eyes flicked to the wall. In the silence, I listened to a scouring pad trying to clean black spores from rotting wallpaper. Is that the only option? As feeling returned to my back, I closed my eyes. I can't crouch for long these days. The knees go after a while. Read your information notes, the home help said, standing up. All you need to know is in there. I heard the door shut and turned myself toward the closed curtains. The next morning, Lou came in with a cup of tea, placing it just in reach. She didn't look at me at all these days. From the floor, she picked up a pile of dirty towels and left. Pulling myself up straight, I leant back against the headboard, then arched away from the wood, the slight contact tearing a chunk of raw flesh out that caught my skin as I shifted around. I retrieved the form listing the clauses from under the pillow and read them again. At the bottom I found what I was looking for. Clause 10.8 The cup of tea felt heavy in my hand. I tried to remember the last time I'd held anything heavier than a spoon. Lou always put the milk in first. I hated the way it turned the tea and sip it devoid of flavor. The first mouthful made me want to throw up, but I kept on drinking, pausing between each sip. Reaching across, I stood Maggie's photo back up. I saw so much of our daughter in her face. Lou was an echo of her. With the photo facing me, it was like they were both in the room to witness I was doing this for the right reasons. Using all my strength, I smashed the cup against the bed's metal frame, selecting the sharpest shirt. I could have just poured the tea into the carpet, but it seemed disrespectful of everything Lou had done for me since her mother died. Closing my eyes, I pressed the ceramic edge between my wrist tendons and made the first cut. That was Steve Toe's Not All the Coal That Is Dug Warms the World, as read by Martin Rato. Martin Rato is an educator, writer, and musician. He has worked in an eclectic variety of fields, including 18 years as a technical writer and software developer, 16 years as a teacher of creative writing, computer science, and business communication, and shorter stints as a symphony musician and audiobook narrator. He has published short fiction and two collections of his poetry. Thank you, Martin. That'll be our show for the evening, Children of the Night. Visit our Patreon page in the links below, and don't forget to like us on iTunes or Acast. Our show was produced by our editors Scott Silk and associate editors Seth Williams and Drew Sebastini. 
and theme music by Diane Severson. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.